to Eat This Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together, we do this twice a week for your benefit and your edification, talking about the Lord and um, His Word that He's given us to equip us in Christian living and honoring Him. This week, we have Sean Duncan with us. Hey, Hello, yo. Sean. Hey, man. We are in Matthew. We're still in Matthew. It's still been Matthew. so rich. I mean... It seems slow I thought you were going. going to say so long. So long. But I'm glad that you yeah. think highly of our time together. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, uh, each episode, in spite of how little it seems to cover in the text, which we've talked about on the episodes and, and outside of this, it's there's so much there to just stop and pause on a text that maybe a lot of Christians are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. you breaking it down. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, we're going to keep going through Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, longest teaching of Jesus. He is teaching his disciples who have came and sat down uh, at, at his feet. And he, so he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. He starts first by blessing them, telling them who they are as a disciple, that they're blessed, that they're um, salt, that they're light of the world, and, and that through their works, God, uh, their father will be glorified and um, then he starts talking about himself, that he is here not to start a new movement, not to start a new religion, but to fulfill the Old Testament, to fulfill the law and the prophets, to bring it to its crescendo, its conclusion. And and what he's doing now is he's moving through these basically case study examples of of Old Testament laws or new laws in the Jewish community that have been built around Old Testament laws. And he's He's correcting misunderstandings and he's telling them what those laws are actually about and what they're supposed to be pushing for. So he's not he's not changing any laws. He's not rewriting any laws. What he's doing is he's saying this is what the law is actually about. That law that was written, this is supposed to be the outcome of that law. Um, I, you play bass. I do. No one yeah. knows that, I feel like. You, you played on one Sunday? One Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, when it comes to music, there are things that are called scales. Any key that you're playing in, there's a scale of seven notes, uh, eight if you count the the one when you get back to the top. I'm going to hit the nerd alert button. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, in a scale, you learn scales if you actually study music. If um, You know, when you were in fourth grade and you played the recorder, you learned a scale at some point. But, but scales are not meant to get you really good at skills so that you play scales. They're supposed to teach you what notes you can play in certain keys so that once you're playing in those keys, you can improvise like a jazz musician and you know what it was driving you towards to be able to make something beautiful. The same thing with Old Testament laws. They're like learning these scales. And and the point is not just the scale itself, but what it produces in the life of a covenant member of God. So Jesus is helping us see like the great jazz piece that comes from the law. So... (laughs) So Got our jazz reference out of the way. Really. So we're just going to dive. Yeah, Louis Armstrong. There you go. I dropped the name. Who who knew? How, how many jazz trumpeteers can you reference in one episode of Eat the Scroll? Um, so we're just going to hop in. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's showing them with the purpose of the law, which, which convicts us, but also um, shows us what we aspire to as we follow Christ, knowing that his righteousness covers us. So uh, we're going to look at verses 27 through... Uh, 32, and I thought that you would read it. Yeah, 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 I've got it pulled up right here. Okay, awesome, go for it. All right, so Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within his heart. 
If you, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, so I, we're ready to make friends? Yeah, I just thought you would talk about this today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to get the hate mail. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, these are, um, these are tough passages, um, not necessarily for interpreta- interpretive reasons, but just out of, out of sensitivity reasons. Like these are very visceral experiences of most people in, in some way or another, uh, whether it be uh, adultery or the damage that lust has created in someone's life or someone's relationship, or whether it be divorce, um, someone either personally experiencing that or having a parent or a loved one or a friend going through divorce. Like we've all experienced these things either firsthand or secondhand, and we know it hurts us and we know it hurts those around us. So that's why these texts are hard because it's sensitive to our own personal experiences. But as far as understanding the text, I think they're actually more straightforward than um, people throughout um, church history, more recent church history has made it just because we we want to um, acquiesce out of our sensitivity towards uh, comfort, but sometimes at the expense of being faithful to scripture. So, We'll just do a few like big chunks of it, okay? So again, he's referring to an Old Testament law. You have heard that it was said. So this is his way of saying this is a law that is being repeated in our time now. And it's a quote from the Old Testament. You shall not commit adultery. Another Ten Commandment. The one we looked at last time was a Ten Commandment. This is another Ten Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. So adultery is the breaking of the covenant of marriage through sexual activity. It might be that you are married with someone and you or you exit your covenant marriage and you sleep with someone else or someone is married and you sleep with one of them. That also is breaking uh, the covenant of marriage. That's also committing adultery. So it's those two situations. And then he says, ego de lego. (laughs) (laughs) That will never get old. You remember what it means? Yeah. uh, But I have said. I, but I have said. I, but I. Yeah, yeah, emphatic. Yeah. I. But I say to you, so this is what that law is supposed to push us towards. It's not just to say, okay, when you're, now when you're married, uh, you can pretty much do anything, but just don't sleep with other people. Like that's limit. That's not the point of that law. Right. The point of the law, according to Jesus, which I think he has some authority on our life as Christians. <laughs> but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, he takes this external action and he's tracing it back into an internal motivator. And he says, that is the thing that the law is about, is what's happening in your heart. Um, So looking at someone with lustful intent, um, to lust is to desire to do something or have something. And, and to look with lustful intent, like you are intending in some way to to act on it. So 
just a little caveat. Lust is not um, the fleeting thought of, that's a beautiful looking person. If you shut that down in the moment, boom, that's not lust. Lust is this lustful intent is like you're ruminating on it. Like you're really thinking about it. You're, you know, you, you're scrolling through your phone and you linger a little too long on the post or you get on the computer and you go to the website that you know you shouldn't have gone to because you delete your history afterwards or you're watching a movie that you wouldn't watch with any family members because you'd feel very, very uncomfortable and you know, so that that's where it's going. Martin Luther, you love Martin Luther. I love Martin Luther. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to meet him in heaven. The, the amount you love Martin Luther, I love the amount you love Martin Luther. It's just, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but he's described it as saying something along the lines: "Is you can't control a bird flying over your head, but you can control whether or not the bird builds a nest in your hair." Gosh. Gold. It is gold. He drops bangers all the time. Yes. Yep. That (laughs) that was from his second album. (laughs) But it's the same thing with with our thoughts and and with the things that pass before our eyes. Uh, Honestly, the culture that we live in, sometimes you are going to drive by a billboard that has some sort of sexual image on it. Now, that is a bird flying over your head. But what you then do with that image in your mind, that's where the battle is. And if you have lustful thoughts about it, if you... You daydream about it if you ruminate on it, and that's what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Jesus says that is adultery. You have already committed adultery, and and that is um, it's very convicting and very um, discouraging for I'm sure many of us. But this is what Jesus is, is getting at: is that we have a heart problem, and that's where sinful behavior starts. But Sean, it doesn't hurt anyone. Well, it does hurt people. <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, it hurts us, yeah, um, primarily. And um, and sexual sin, uh, Paul will say in Corinthians, it's not just a sin against someone else, but it's a sin against your own body. So uh, especially when you act on uh, lustful intent, you're you're sinning against your own body and you're actually corrupting your own body. In 1 Peter, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 10, um, he says that the passions of the flesh wage war on our soul. So to entertain sinful ideas, whether it's anger or lust or something else, you are allowing someone to stomp out your soul. You're, you are allowing that passion to stomp your soul out and to curb stomp your soul. Yeah. That, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, and it's also severing you from the source of life, which is God, and, and you're defaming God's holy reputation. So that's also a big deal. Um, so yeah, it does hurt people. And, and then, I mean, if we want to just get practical about it, um, the, the, like the pornography industry and and even now um, movie industries that have become over-sexualized, it does hurt people because it, it promotes this idea that your worth comes from your body. And, and this leads to uh, in industries that are basically slave trading humans. And some that actually are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the sex trade industry is, is grotesque and it's far bigger than you would ever imagine it. So it does hurt people because we have fed the beast. Yeah. And I, I would even go as far as to say, I mean, I don't know that it's unique to this sin particular, but I know as far as studies go, um, specifically sexual sin, you know, that stuff escalates biologically. Mm-hmm. Like it has, um, you know, when, when I think of sin, I often equate it to lust because I know sin operates a specific way, but it wants more. It desires more. It crafts your ideas, your thoughts, your actions. You start building habits yeah. around this. So, yeah. Yeah. So it is really, um, dangerous. And at the end of the day, anytime we are, are lusting after someone, 
one, it, it dishonors either the person we're currently in a relationship or the future person we might be in a relationship with. But when we are lusting, we're wanting something from them rather than giving something to others. So it, it's a selfish intention and it begins to dehumanize people in our own, own hearts where we see people as objects for for our gratification, which is never how we should see people. People are, are never objects for our gratification in regards to any sin, including sexual sin. Yeah. So Jesus thinks this is so serious that he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, it'd be better for you to like, gouge your eye out and throw it away than to enter into hell with every part of your body. And if your right hand is leading you and causing you to sin, it would be better for you to cut off your hand and enter into the kingdom of heaven with one hand missing than to enter hell with all 10 fingers. Um, Lound, let's not misunderstand this text. Throughout church history, um, in monasteries, there have been people who took this too far and and began to um, self-mutilate themselves where they actually did cause inflict this physical harm. So part, some monasteries and monks, part of their idea is, well, the world is evil and if we remove from the world... We'll remove ourselves from sin. But the problem is that sin's not just in the world. The sin is in us. So even if you go off to a secluded cave, you'll still find sin there. So uh, and some traditions also then began to self-mutilate themselves, either through whipping themselves or causing pain on their bodies or even gouging out eyes and cutting off hands because they're misunderstanding this text. Remember what he said in verse 28. It's in the heart, not the hand and the eye. Right. So, so you're not actually going to remove the problem by gouging out your body. He's just giving a very visceral illustration. And for extra credit, anyone who wants to do this, go read Proverbs uh, with a highlighter and highlight all the times that talks about your right eye or your right hand and and think about the context of that or do a word search throughout Proverbs. Yeah. And it'll give some context to, to what's going on here. But what he's saying is sometimes you will have to greatly inconvenience your life to avoid sexual sin. So what does that look like? Yeah. All right. So practically, so I'm a college pastor. And before that, I was a youth pastor. Um, I'm sure it's not just college uh, boys who are struggling with this, but maybe like 40 year old boys, uh, you know, upwards <laughs> um, and, and, and women too. Um, yeah. Right now you have access to the world on a four inch device that sits in your pocket and has a battery life that lasts 24 hours. Pretty incredible. Very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You might need to stop having it in your room at night when you go to bed. Maybe you need to get a, an analog alarm clock that you wake up to just so that it's not tempting you sitting by your bedstand at night. Maybe you charge it in the living room or the kitchen where your roommates will also see it or, or, or you know, your spouse or your family will also see it. So, so remove that from, from your area. Maybe you need to stop watching R-rated movies. You just need to make a pack. I'm not going to watch R-rated movies because I know where that leads me. Uh, maybe there's certain songs that you listen to and the way it talks about people in those songs, well, it, it's creating in you this habit. Maybe you need to stop listening to certain types of music. So I can't give um, direct applications of if you just do this, that'll solve the problem. But if you recognize this is leading to those things, well, maybe you need to remove that from your life. Here's the thing. Joseph in the Old Testament, when when Potiphar's wife comes to him and, he's, and she's like, sleep with me, sleep with me. What he doesn't do is hold a prayer meeting. He runs away. Yeah. He runs away because sexual sin is one of the, those problems. And there's a proverb um, that talk, talking about sexual sin, it's talking, it uses the illustration of fire. And it says, can someone hold fire close to their chest and their clothes not get burned? The idea is that if you entertain it and play with it long enough, you're going to get 
burned. You need to remove yourself from that problem. So um, I can't give application beyond that, but but maybe stop having certain things in your general vicinity all the time. Yeah, And I might add even too, be self-aware when you consider these things, like what are the what are the side roads you take to mm-hmm. a temptation yeah. and your response to the idea of putting prohibitors there mm-hmm. or removing them from your life altogether. Yeah. I find often that the people who I've talked to or counseled, the visceral response they have mm-hmm. to, you know, to limiting the phone, getting rid of the phone, these mm-hmm. kinds of things are usually indicative to some degree of their desire to keep that temptation around. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I, I agree. And for those people who are in relationships but not married, um, in First Timothy chapter 5, it says that we're supposed to treat um, men as brothers and fathers in respect and purity, and we're supposed to treat women uh, who as sisters and mothers in, in uh, the way we respect them and in regards to all purity. So uh, if you're in a relationship, you're like, you're, you know, you're making out too much and your body's heating up. Well, I would say you're you're probably taking it a step too far. So so also be thinking about what's going on in my body and in my mind, even through through this behavior. Um so yeah, you really have to it's a case by case thing, but this is why community is so good. If you you're scratching your hair, you're like, I'm starting to feel convicted about something in my life. Well, brother or sister, this is why we're a church and you should just come talk to a, a pastor or a friend that you're in a small group with and just talk through your situation and wh- what you're feeling convicted about, why you're feeling convicted. And, and maybe through that discussion, you'll get clarity about maybe some practical steps you could take to to honor God more and to say no to sin um, in a more helpful way. Yeah. And just to draw back real quick, I, I think it's so great that you dr- put so much emphasis on what Jesus is saying here, because what we're dealing with are symptoms mm-hmm. of a greater problem. Right. We shouldn't indulge those symptoms, mm-hmm. but our answer is beyond the symptoms. Right. We'll have lust even if we don't have a smartphone. Right. You know, these kinds of things. Right. But we should still use wisdom with yeah. those things. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, Christ is, you know, turning back to the gospel. And, yeah. and that is is the ticket here. Yeah. And in the book of Job, his friends are accusing him because like, oh, maybe all this bad stuff's happened to you because you're some sort of like secret sinner or something, <laughs> which is wrong. <laughs> and, and, you know, God tell, calls Job righteous multiple times in the book. Um, but anyways, in one of the discourses, Job de- is defending himself. He's like, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Sometimes that's what we have to do. We yeah. have to just make a covenant with our eyes. I'm not going to look lustfully. It's really hard, but it's really good. Um, I, in God's presence, there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's presence will will pleasure you in ways that sex never could. Right. So uh, it, God's not anti-joy. He's actually pro-joy, and he's trying to lead you towards what will give you the most possible joy and satisfaction, which is him. Yep. So the text isn't over. Now it gets like, he turns it up to level 20 uh, when the knob only goes up to nine. <laughs> he says, it was also said. Just notice that this is a different phrase. Usually he says, you have heard that it was said, or you have heard that it was said to those of old. But now he says, it was also said. So this is like a continuation of this same topic. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is a um, misquote of Deuteronomy chapter 25, I believe. Or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, it's giving this circumstance uh, whereby a man is divorcing his wife. And, and the law is not pro-divorce. Yeah. Uh, the law is, 
the law's intention is to actually to protect a woman after she's been divorced. Um, so we don't, we don't really have time to go back to it, but basically the gist of it is if you divorce a woman, you can't, and then she goes and re- remarries, you can't remarry her one day because it was in this con- ancient Jewish context, when a wife, uh, when, when a woman becomes a wife, her father's household gives a dowry, a payment to the husband. So the husband benefits financially to marry someone. If he were to divorce a wife, his wife, and then sometime in the future remarry her, he'd need another dowry. So he's basically saying, like, you can't fleece people financially. You can't take advantage through this. So if you divorce someone, you cannot remarry them. So it's to protect the the, the divorcee. It's not pro-divorce. Okay. But he says, um, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This verse is um, debated. It's tough. It only shows up in Matthew. This is called the exception clause. <clears throat> and the way people have, have understood it in uh, the past is that Jesus is saying divorce is not okay except if adultery has been committed. There, I, I, Personally, this is my personal take on this um, and other scholars that I read and you're not just making this i'm not just making this up but this is where i fall and like i know like other pastors here they fall somewhere different on this this issue so it's not a make or break of salvation but uh, i don't think what jesus is saying is that divorce is not allowed unless there's been adultery for two reasons one um grammatically and then one contextually the contextual reason he has just said that if you lust you've committed adultery meaning Every married couple has probably committed adultery because they lust in their heart to some regard in some situation, at least at some time. So I don't think he would be saying that you can divorce if there's been adultery because everyone is an adulterer at this point. He's just labeled them that way, meaning now everyone could get a divorce. So that's one reason. That's the contextual reason. The textual reason is the outcome he's talking about is not the outcome of divorce, but rather um, the, the committing of adultery. I'll read it again a little slower. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let's just take the exception clause out and read it again. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In other words, when you divorce someone, uh, in this time, when you divorce someone, you're separating a union that God joined together. Man should not separate. When you divorce, you're separating them. And, and then in this context, it's really hard for uh, a woman to survive, not with the support of a husband, because women aren't holding down jobs. They're not financially independent like they are, are today. So they would usually get remarried. So you divorce someone and then they get remarried. Well, actually, they're still covenantally bound to their former spouse. So now they're in this new relationship and they're actually committing adultery. And then he also says, and whoever more marries a divorced woman. So that person who married the divorced woman is also committing adultery. So I think that's what Jesus is saying. And then the exception clause is, however, if you divorced her on the ground of sexual immorality, they've already committed adultery. You're not making them commit adultery. So I take this text then to say, Divorce is never okay. Um, 
one of the reasons why is because when you divorce, you are causing someone to become an adulterer, except if they you divorce them because they were an adulterer. So that's why the exception clause is, is put in there. Another good text to go to is Matthew chapter 19. Um, and it's a discussion about divorce that Jesus is having with some religious leaders. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Great question. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for, for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So if we just take that exception clause out, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. So um, that is the text. And the way the disciples understood this, they, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. I think that see so their understanding is like man marriage is is a lifetime thing and there's really no getting out of it and if you do get out of it you're actually probably committing sin in some regard and the disciples are like I I guess it'd just be better not to be married and and then Jesus is going to comfort them in that and say well no you should you should still get married but some people shouldn't get married there are some people who should remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom of heaven um all that to say that was a lot and it's heavy and I, I come from a family with divorced parents. So like this is a personal experience for me too. So I think very personally when I'm reading through these texts, I do think divorce is not okay. I think we're we're causing someone to commit ongoing sin if we do divorce. Uh, and unless we divorce them because they had committed uh, some sort of sexual breach of of the covenant. Um but all that to say God's mercies are new every morning. Um, we're a new creation in Christ. Our, our past sins are as far as the East is from the West, uh, and even our past, present, or maybe even future sexual sin cannot disqualify us from the grace and the forgiveness of God. There's, there, there's enough grace to be lavished in for the rest of eternity where we'll never run dry of that. If we're going to pursue Christ, though, let's take marriage seriously, not because it's an, an ultimate reality as of being human. Jesus was single and he was uh, he was truly human, but because it's a reflection of how Jesus loves us, how Christ loves the church. And we worship false gods all the time, uh, whether it be sex, money, uh, identity, fame, reputation. We all commit adultery uh, in the form of idolatry. That's what sexual immorality is on par with, is our idolatry when it comes to God. When we're not faithful to God, when we, we, when we walk into sin, and Jesus never divorces us. And because he never divorces us, let, let's take heart even in a broken marriage that because Jesus hasn't divorced us, we might be able to find a way through this broken marriage too. Good word. Yeah. Complicated issues. It is really complicated and really personal and really practical uh, for a lot of us. Yeah. And and all for our benefit. Yeah. So, well, Sean, thank you for tackling this. Um, you know, we talked earlier. You said, Chris, I really think I should skip this section. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anytime we get to open the word and, and chat about it, it's always edifying. So, yeah. hopefully you guys enjoyed it at home. We'll catch you next time. All right. 
Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week, so please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.